Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Two lessons from the Old Testament, beginning with the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 1, then 14 through 15, and 21 through 24. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate, that it may be the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your festivals and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being from your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And now from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite the children to join me for a few moments. If you're here in the sanctuary, come on up to this part of the chancel area. And if you're worshiping from home, just get a little closer to your screens and we'll have a few minutes together. I'm so glad to see all of you. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Come on down. So happy to see you. Welcome, welcome. When I was your age, my brother and my sisters and I would sometimes get in trouble. Never get in trouble? We might get in trouble for calling our sister or brother a mean name or for hitting someone or maybe telling our parents something that wasn't true. There were different reasons why we would get in trouble. And usually when I would get in trouble, I'd have to go to my room. I'd have to sit in my room. And this was a long time ago before there were iPads and telephones and things that I could watch. I just had to sit in my room and stare at the wall. And it was always hard to know that I had disappointed my parents and that they weren't happy with me. 
But usually they'd come and we'd have a talk and they'd say, now here's why you had to go to your room because what you did was wrong. It's not right to hit your brother. It's not right to say mean things. And we want you to grow up and be kind and loving. They sent me to my room because they love me and they want to teach me how to be more like God, more like Jesus. We just heard from a prophet named Amos and another one named Micah. And they lived a long time ago, long before Jesus. And sometimes they said hard things to the people. They said things that the people didn't really want to hear, but they were trying to tell God's people that, you know, what you're doing is wrong, and we need to stop and turn back toward God and do the right thing, to be loving and kind and share. So even when we hear some of these words from the Bible that sound so hard, it's all because God loves us and God wants us to be more and more loving every day. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for parents and grown-ups in our lives who teach us, who love us, and who want to guide us to be more like you. Even sometimes when we make mistakes and we get in trouble, Help us to remember that we can learn from those things and that you always love us and forgive us and give us a new start. Thank you for these beautiful children and the way that they teach me and all of us about your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for listening. Three, four, and five-year-olds can go with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Will to Children's Church. And the rest of you can return to seats with parents or friends. I guess it was sometime last fall when I felt the Spirit nudging me to preach through the Bible this year as part of our 150th year together as a congregation to read the story of God with God's people as we looked at our own story as a congregation and our history and as we looked at our own stories as individuals to place those stories in the larger context, the larger story of God's relationship with God's people. And so I took some time to sort of sketch out the plan, starting on January 8th, ending on the Sunday before Advent. I knew we didn't have enough Sundays to read every single book of the Bible, so I had to make some choices. There were some books that we just weren't going to get to. We didn't read First and Second Chronicles. We're not going to hear from Daniel, although we'll dig into Daniel a little bit next week in the Bible study. And when we get to these minor prophets, these 12 prophets at the end of the Old Testament, I knew we couldn't hear from all of them. So I put a few together and picked the ones that I was most interested in. And I thought, oh, I've got to pick Amos. Because I remember one of my favorite seminary professors preaching the most powerful sermon on the book of Amos. And then I read the book of Amos. <laughs> And those of you who are reading along in the scriptures or who have read the book of Amos before, if you haven't, it takes about a half hour to sit down and read it. But wow, it's hard. It's really hard. Many of you have probably seen in the cartoons, you know, the guy standing on the corner with the sign that says, the end is near. That's Amos. Prophet of gloom and doom. 
Most scholars believe that the writings of Amos were, are the oldest among the prophets that we have. He was writing at a moment in history before most of the other prophets wrote their prophecies down. So it was in the 8th century BCE when the Assyrian army was beginning to be a threat. And Amos wanted to tell the people that you are about to be destroyed. The people of Israel are about to be destroyed, and here's why. And so he spends all of his prophecy talking about the reasons for this destruction, the many ways they have displeased God and wandered off the path that God would have them on. Now we know that there are other scriptures, there are other prophets who tell us more of the story. We know that that moment when the Assyrian army overtook Israel, it wasn't the end of Israel. That the exiles returned. That God was with them in Ezra and Nehemiah, those books that we read, to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. And of course, as Christians, we believe that the story yet has more to it. That the day comes when God comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, to become one of us and to save us and save the world. But Amos, it seems, in his moment in history, didn't see that. He didn't know that. And so there are little drops of hope right at the very end. It may be that God will relent. It may be that there's hope. But for the most part, it's doom and gloom. And what he's saying to God's people is that this, these consequences are coming upon us for very specific reasons. Some of the other prophets talk about the idolatry of the Israelites, worshiping other gods, but for Amos, it's mostly about their mistreatment and neglect of the poor. It is about justice and righteousness. And he talks about how God's justice is that all people would flourish. As Will said in his sermon last week, that everything would live, that there would be abundant life for all people and that all people would be seen as God's beloved children and have an opportunity to flourish and have enough. God's righteousness is about being in right relationship with God, with others, and with creation. Being in relationship with the living God in a way that nourishes your life and makes a difference in the world. Amos says, that's, that's absent from you. Where is your heart, O Israel? So if you're willing to dig in a little deeper and hear some of these really hard words, I invite you to go with me. And I invite you to be open to hearing how this prophet speaks to us, guides us into some self-examination and self-reflection. He says to the people, hate what is evil and love what is good. Now, when we hear these words hate and love in the Hebrew, they are not so much about feelings. These words are more about choices. Choose to do what is good. Do not choose what is evil. Reject what is evil. And that's helpful to know when we get to verse 21. By the way, I did edit a little bit because I just thought it was too hard. <laughs> but, that, you know, it's not my job to protect us all from the scriptures, so I invite you to go home and read it all. 
put yourself before the scriptures. But God, the word of the Lord comes to Amos and says, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Let us hear in that, I reject your festivals and your solemn assemblies and your burnt offerings and the singing of your songs. I will not listen to them. Those are hard words. But then Amos says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Is Amos saying that worship is not important and that all that faith is about is working for justice in the world? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So what's missing in the worship of the people? Why is it that God is not accepting their worship? Because their praises are empty. Because they leave the sanctuary and then go and trample on the poor. They stand at the city gate, says Amos, and the poor come to hear their cases and to to have justice done. And there is no justice because the judges, the elders are taking bribes and the rich get their way and the poor are trampled upon. Injustice in the legal system, injustice in the economic system. You cows of Bashan, says Amos. And he talks about the people who sit up on their comfortable couches in their ivory towers and they feast and they drink while the poor and the lonely are hungry, while the sick are untended, while the vulnerable remain vulnerable. And Amos says, if this is happening, how can your worship mean anything to God? If your worship of God is not lived out in a way that brings flourishing to the world, what meaning does it have? And so I have to step back and examine myself. We have a stunningly beautiful sanctuary that the people who were part of this congregation in the 1920s and 30s and 40s worked really hard to build. We have amazing worship in this place, beautiful choirs and the best organists in the world and handbells. And we work hard on the liturgy every week. I work hard on my sermon. We have people involved in every aspect of worship. But where is my heart? Am I offering this sermon today because, hey, we're, we're broadcasting all across the world and I want people to think I'm a really good preacher. I want people to think that we have the best choir in the world, put you up against any choir in the world. As if it's a performance to please other people that doesn't lead to changes in our spirits and our lives. But there is another way to worship a way that I believe we worship every Sunday. We sing our praises as a response to all that God is and has done for us. We work hard on our singing and on our sermons and on our liturgy as an offering to the living God with whom we are in relationship every day of the week. At least that's what Amos is calling for. So if you, like me, feel a little convicted by these words of Amos. Maybe the prophet Micah can help us. How are we supposed to worship? What does God want of us? What does the Lord require of you, asks the prophet Micah, but to do justice, 
to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah, I'm already thinking about this. This I'm going to do a sermon series on this, I think, <laughs> because it is worth diving deeply into these three things and examining what that looks like and how that's lived out in our daily lives. To do justice. It's clear in the Hebrew. Now, I confess, I did not study Hebrew in seminary, so I'm getting this through commentaries and secondary sources, but to do justice is an active verb. Not to talk about justice, not to complain about the injustices of the world, but to do what we can to lift up the vulnerable, to make life better for those who are suffering in whatever ways they're suffering, to ease the burdens of others, big and small ways to do justice, to do God's justice Monday through Saturday, to love kindness, it's a lot harder to translate into the English. I've read lots of different translations to love kindness, to love mercy, to continually, faithfully love others as God has loved us. Because God has shown such kindness and mercy to us, we then show it to others. I think my favorite translation is to love mercy. To show mercy to others, which means whether they deserve it or not, but also not to be resentful when other people receive God's mercy and love. We'll see a bad example of that next week with Jonah. He did not love God's mercy. And to walk humbly with your God, to walk each and every day in humility with God, with an openness and a curiosity and a readiness for God to surprise us, to stretch our minds, to change our minds, to shape our hearts to be more and more like God's, more loving, more merciful, more just. It's a journey. Hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, Amos was worried about his people. Thousands of years later, John Wesley was worried about the people called Methodists. His life and ministry spanned the 18th century. He began with the children and the families of coal miners, the poor. And by the end of the century, many of the Methodists were more prosperous and more comfortable and were beginning to turn inward. And he said in his old age, my concern for the Methodists is that they would keep the form of religion without the power. It's the same thing that Amos is saying. And so we have this invitation and this powerful reminder that as the people of God, the form of our religion, the form of our worship is not nearly as important as the power of our faith and the living relationship we have with God. And so we go out Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and we do justice, and we love mercy, and we walk humbly with God, and then we come back together in this time of worship, and we sing our hearts out, and I preach as hard as I can, and we teach the children and the youth, and we do all of these things in worship as an outpouring of our love for God. And if we do that... I think even the prophet Amos would say, 
it's beautiful. And there is hope for the world. Thanks be to God.